Hey, uh, welcome to Own Your Future podcast with myself, Eric Clay. Today, we're going to have on Derek Higgins from Lyles and Higgins Insurance, and we're going to talk about the wonderful world of insurance. Hey, Derek, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing good. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today is uh, you, you've helped uh, on a few investment properties and a few of my investors. And so um, I wanted to get a general scope of insurance with you, but I I did want to touch base a little bit maybe on the investment side for maybe some of our uh, uh, investment viewers out there. Um, so uh, introduce yourself and tell everybody a, a little bit about what you do. So I'm Derek Higgins. I'm a founding partner here at Lawson Higgins Insurance Agency. Uh, we've been in business uh, going on nine years this year, um, both myself and my partner. Uh, we started at Liberty Mutual. Um, which is a direct writer um, and then just realized that the independent channel, which is what we're in now is just, we're able to provide more options for our clients, uh, whether it be those investment properties, uh, different business insurance. Um, and we represent probably about 20 to 30 different carriers. So um, we can find a home for people in a bunch of different situations, uh, depending on what the needs are. Uh, so. Yeah, so you're you're actually learning to be a pilot or getting your pilot's license, and you can now do airplane insurance. Yeah, I have um, about halfway through my pilot's license. Um, we've had a few connections with aviation insurance, uh, so I have uh, one client that owns a plane on his own. I have another flying club, um, a couple hangars that we insure. So it's it's definitely a passion of mine that is developing and in, in this. Uh, early stages, but we're, we're growing and um, learning a lot about the aviation insurance, which is a whole different world than the auto home and, and, you know, your typical business insurance, but it's, it's fun. It's always great to learn new things and uh, keep things fresh. Cool. Well, Hey, so you heard, heard it there. If you are a fellow airline pilot or you just airline enthusiast, reach out to Derek because uh, he is too. Um, so uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, um, so I often have people come to me for investment properties and sometimes doing investment uh, insurance is a little bit different than doing a regular insurance for your home. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. So um, can you can you give a uh, can you tell some people a little bit different uh, what the difference is between maybe your primary house and an investment property when it comes to insurance? Sure. So the, the biggest difference I believe is with a primary property, they can kind of do a little bit of digging and, and see insurance history for that individual's owner. But when you have an investment property, um, typically if it's a multifamily, say three family, um, you, they really have no way to do any kind of insurance score, any kind of rating based on the individuals in the properties themselves. So in general, it's a bigger liability risk, not knowing that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, so they're rated, you know, based on that liability risk or not knowing the liability risk. So in general, it's a little bit more than a standard single family homeowner. Um, and same thing with the, you know, replacement cost. You have three kitchens, th at least three baths in a, in a three family. Um, so the way the policies are covered are a little bit different as well. Yeah. So one of the things uh, is you, you have families in there that obviously on occupying that the insurance company doesn't know about. Is there any additional insurance or coverage that you need when you're buying these investment properties? Yeah. So it's a different policy. It's called a dwelling fire policy. And again, it, 
it's rated a little bit differently. Uh, it also can take away some of the, the standard personal property coverage that you have on a normal homeowner's policy. And again, it's rated based on you know, not necessarily knowing who's going to be those tenants. And in general, too, as a homeowner, you care about your investment, you care about your property. Um, tenants don't always necessarily care for the property as well as a homeowner may. So, um, you know, there's some additional risks there. Um, so yeah. what, about, what about investment condos? Like, so in condos are, are getting bigger, especially in Massachusetts uh, with the higher density um, living. Uh, is there any additional, like, so, so for example, like a lot of times insurance is covered by the master insurance. Is, is the uh, condo insurance that the owner would get any different than if they were living there as a primary for a condo? Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty similar. A lot of times there's an endorsement called rented to others that, gets put on there and again it kind of makes up for the the lack of underwriting ability for the the, the condo owner um also i always recommend for my condo owners to have their tenants or even any kind of investment property the tenants to have a renter's insurance policy is a great idea it's going to limit the the liability risk of the the owner of the unit owner whether it's a condo or or a multifamily or you know um what people don't realize is as the homeowner, you you're subject to lawsuits. So I've seen, you know, probably a half a dozen times where a tenant had a dog that bit somebody. If that tenant doesn't have insurance, they're going to go towards the homeowner because, you know, the homeowner is responsible for the property. Um, you know, so you're, you're leaving yourself open to potential lawsuits like that or, or potential coverage on your homeowner's policy. Um, so, so would you recommend would you recommend anybody that's getting into the investment game get maybe like an umbrella liability policy? Yeah, I mean it always helps, especially because you know, on the auto side of things, if if you own a few different investment properties and you get into a bad car accident, um, you, those investment properties don't have the same homestead um, protection that you do on a primary home. So. You know any equity you can be forced to sell those properties so just in that case alone um and then also yeah you don't necessarily you know you can do all the vetting you want for your tenants um but you know someone has you know someone visiting the property or had a house party or whatever may happen where there's a liability issue and they get sued um you know it's always going to come back on the homeowner um in the end so it's good to have that umbrella protection uh is going to give you at least a million up to you know five ten million dollars or more for a, a bigger investor um you know added protection i would say you know you want to build it into the numbers when you're running numbers on on the investment property just because it you know you never know what could happen um and same thing on your auto side you know you could be the best driver in the world and you know your foot could get caught uh we, we saw a huge case on the south shore at the apple store where the guy drove through the front oh killing a person and injuring almost a couple dozen others, um, you know, umbrella policy is going to step in and, you know, protect those investment properties in a case like that, where, you know, it could, it sounds like it was just a terrible accident. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so uh, other than that, uh, a lot of the insurance for the investment property is similar to just your regular uh, insurance as a primary residence. Is that correct? Yeah, it's pretty similar. We can take out the personal property coverage in most cases, um, which is always something we ask about. You know, are you renting it fully uh, furnished, or is you know all the tenant bringing their stuff? 
because um, if you are renting it out fully furnished, you're going to want to have coverage that if the place burnt down to the ground, we can, you know, buy all that furniture that you had in there. Um, but if if the tenants bring all their own stuff in there, it's not going to be covered by your your investment property you know, policy or there could be limited coverage. Uh, we could put coverage in there for um, anything that the the owner has in the in the property, whether it's area rugs or appliances, you know, microwaves, things like that. Um, so there's always the opportunity to put some coverage in there. Uh, but then, yeah, the, the stuff that the tenant owns themselves, their clothes, their furniture, TVs, isn't going to be covered by the, you know, the dwelling fire policy and investment. Yeah. So, so you make a good point about the fully furnished and, you know, that kind of leads into one of my next questions. What's getting really popular nowadays is obviously short term rentals such as Airbnb and VRBO. But if you had a rental property down in the Cape many times, there's always been short term rentals down there. So how is the how is the insurance different for short term rentals or is there a special coverage that they need? Um, a lot of times it's mainly just an underwriting issue. Um, there's some companies that are totally fine with, with doing insurance for, you know, the VRBOs or the Airbnbs. Uh, there's other companies that don't want to touch it. Um, I think we saw the same on the auto side with, with Lyft and Uber. Um, there's a lot more companies today than even three or four years ago that are okay with it. We put an endorsement onto the policy and, um, Again, it depends on how often you're doing it. If, if it's a complete, you know, VRBO and it's going to be rented as much as possible, um, you'd probably stick to the dwelling fire. We also have clients that, you know, maybe they use it most of the year and they rent it out three or four weeks a year um, just for random, you know, when random times that they might not be using it. Um, so we really got to ask how long or how how often is it going to be used as as a rental property? And then, you know, we can decide on what product or what type of policy to give them from there. Um, but it's a lot of times, you know, people used to try to hide it, almost like having a pit bull or a vicious dog that a company wouldn't cover. Yeah. Uh, but we try to, you know, try to make sure that we let them know there are options for whatever type of policy or, you know, whatever type of use they're going to be using the property for. It's about getting them into the best product for that use um, so that there's no surprises where, you know, they didn't tell us, they didn't disclose at all that they were using it for, for a rental and then have a claim that's denied because they say, you know, my VRBO tenant, you know, burnt the house down or, you know, even if smaller, um, you know, left, left the bank for bathroom sink on when they left and it flooded the bathroom or something like that. So it's yeah. better to get them into a product that's going to pay out when that claim does happen. Um, even if it's a couple bucks more um, or just with a different company or a different style policy. Um, so you always want to fit the policy to the property and then keep it updated as it changes as well. There's a lot of times people will buy, you know, say they buy an investment property and they're living in it for the first year. Then they decide to rent the whole thing out. Um, we try to stay on top of that to, to make sure we switch the policy when the use changes as well, uh, which we see a lot of times people come over with two standard homeowners policies and we ask them, you know, what's the primary, what's, you know, and the other one's an investment and they just never switched it over because, you know, their agent didn't tell them to, or, or they, or they didn't remember that they were supposed to. Um, so that's what we always try to do with an annual review just to make sure they're in the right product. Great. So what are some coverages that people don't think about that they probably should be looking in and that maybe they don't have on their insurance? 
Um, I would say one of the biggest ones we see a lot of nowadays is water backup coverage. Um, it's an endorsement. We try to put it on every quote um, when we send them out just because it's probably one of the top five issues we see. Um, there's limited coverage on some policies. Other policies limit the coverage on the back end as well. Um, but basically, it's going to cover you know a sump pump failure. Uh, you lose power and the, the sump pump in the basement isn't pumping out water. Um, if there's sewage that comes up through a city pipe, a lot of people don't realize that the, you know, sometimes the city will cover fixing the pipe, but they're not going to cover the, the raw sewage that backed up into your basement or uh, things like that. So that's a big one that we always try to add on there, at least to have the conversation. If they say, oh, why, why am I getting charged a hundred bucks for this? It, it gives us the opportunity to make sure we're talking about it. Um, there's a lot of uh, equipment breakdown coverage is, is something a lot of companies have nowadays that's very cheap um, and can also cover some of the systems of the house. Um, service line coverage. Um, basically, there's a gap in your homeowner's insurance policy between where your property starts and the city property ends and the house. So if you have any sewage lines or any underground uh, lines that are damaged and you don't have that endorsement on the policy, um, you know, you won't have any coverage for, you know, the town or the, the utility coming in and ripping up the ground to fix a pipe or something like that. Um, so those are, you know, three really common endorsements that we like to talk about on every homeowner's policy. Um, again, there's, it, it's tough because there's, you know, probably dozens of options and, and a lot of people are price sensitive with insurance, but we try to, um, find that balance of where you're getting a good policy, the premium is reasonable and you have good coverage for, you know, you would try to get as much coverage in there for all the circumstances that could happen. Um, but you have to balance that with, with the budget as well. So. Awesome. So one of the other topics I wanted to touch base with you on is condos as well. Um, so condos are, are getting more and more popular, especially as price values go up. Um, and uh, sometimes in the loan process, um, additional insurance above the master policy is not required because the master policy has what we call in walls in uh, or studs in, uh, which include betterments and improvements on the policy. And so from a loan perspective, uh, we might not require it, uh, require the condo insurance. And I, I had a girl who bought a condo, um, or I should say a woman, I had a woman buy a condo uh, um, and I was doing the financing and I told her, I said, Hey, you know, for the loan, the insurance is not required. Um, but you should still get it. And I, I actually gave out a few names where she could go get the insurance from. And she ended up hiring a plumber at the, the plumber burned down her unit and, um, she never got the insurance. And so she was on the hook for the deductible. And, um, I think she just didn't think about it. You know, um, I don't think it was, I, you know, she was probably more preoccupied with the loan process. Uh, but some people think, oh, well, why do I need to spend an extra, you know, 300 to 400 bucks a year on this? But a lot of times if you bundle that in, uh, you get the, you get a reduction on your car insurance. So it's like almost like the condo, uh, that extra condo insurance is free. Is that correct or is pretty close to it? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more than a renter's policy. And it really depends on what you're paying on your auto. Um, but I would say in general, you're going to get a about a hundred dollar or more, um, you know, if you're paying a thousand bucks on your auto policy, it's, it's about 10% give or take. Um, but yeah, 
sometimes with those larger condo complexes, you could have a $25,000 or $50,000 deductible on the master policy. Um, and for about, you know, probably a hundred to $200 a year, depending on the, the property, you can reduce that. And it, really your condo, uh, personal condo policy is going to fill the gaps in between the master policy and, and what you don't have. So in her case, you know, she could have put a $500 deductible on her personal policy and that's what she would have been out of pocket for. Um, some of the smaller four, five, six unit complexes, the deductible may only be a thousand or twenty five hundred, which is a lot more manageable for people. But as the units get bigger, um, anytime I see a you know fifty to one hundred unit condo complex or more, um, typically you'll see deductibles in that ten, twenty five thousand, fifty thousand dollar range. A lot of times, if they have bad losses in the unit, they use the the higher deductibles as a way to save money on the premium. Um, and the bigger ones are really good usually about, um, you know, sending a letter out to the condo owners and saying, hey, this is what we have on the master policy, match up your, your personal policy with this. Um, sometimes we see condos in the middle of that or even the smaller condos, you know, two or three or four condo complexes don't necessarily have the experience. They don't have a team on site that's doing those type of things. So we always ask for the condo docs. We always ask for the, the master policy to make sure you're filling in those gaps. And again, a good condo policy, you know, could range from three to $500 a year, you know, minus the savings on the auto. So it's really 20 or 30 bucks a month in a lot of cases um, for what could be, you know, savings of thousands of dollars out of pocket if, if there is a big claim. Um, so yeah, I, I recommend them to everyone. Um, you know, they're not required, but, and again, even so when you're renting out the condo, then you really don't, you're not worried about the, the personal property, which is another huge portion of it. Um, but when you are living there, that's important as well. If, if your stuff gets burnt in that fire that the, the plumber caused, um, you know, you're going to have coverage on the policy and, and, you know, Otherwise, you might be waiting months to go through a lawsuit to try to sue the plumber or sue the person that, that caused the accident. Or um, if it was something that happened in your unit on your own, you're not going to have anywhere to go and you're just going to have to you know, pay that money out of pocket. So, yeah. Uh, and, and personal property includes things like the refrigerator, right? Like any appliances or anything like that? Yeah, usually the appliances, I always explain it as if you can if you flip the, the house upside down, anything that's going to fall out. So your clothes, furniture, um, appliances can be hit or miss depending on whether they're attached or not. But um, yeah, mostly the refrigerator, microwaves, you know, toaster ovens, stuff like that. Um, we include in there. And again, um, most policies start at 20 to $25,000 in personal property coverage, um, which I tell people all the time is a, it's an okay amount, but even for a single person, if you start adding up your clothes, furniture, um, you know, even on a basic budget, you could go over that no problem. And then I've seen clients that have just $25,000 in jewelry or handbags or shoes or, you know, whatever else people collect out there. So um, it can definitely go up from there, but to have at least something basic in there, if disaster strikes, you know, you're going to have, you know, try to make yourself somewhat whole again. Uh, you know, I would hate to lose my $25,000 bag collection. So, 
Uh, so, are there for condos? Are there any? Is there anything additional or different uh, that yet that uh, a condo owner might want to consider when it comes to coverage versus maybe somebody who's buying a single family? Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's really I think matching up the two policies, make sure they work together. Um, like, there's no reason if you have a, you know, a ten thousand dollar master policy deductible, you know, the premium with for that versus you know, say a thousand dollar master policy deductible, it's only going to be, you know, 10 bucks a month or something like that to, to make sure it's matched up. So the, the coverage is pretty affordable, you know, to get your policies to match together. Um, but it would stink to have, you know, no coverage for that master policy deductible. And then, you know, to know that you could have paid a hundred bucks a year or so and, and had, you know, had the coverage in place versus, you know, not having it matched up properly. Um, so it's really, you're, you're making the two policies work together. Whereas in a single family, you have your own policy and it's gonna, you know, that's gonna take care of everything for you. Um, but there's a lot of agents that just will want to put something in place really quickly. And um, I find that if you can have some kind of relationship with the mortgage company or with the realtor, most of the time they're getting the master policy for you. So it's not much like work on your end. And then you're just making sure that, um, you know, really creating the best value for the policy. Cause if you, if you just go in there and assume one thing, you know, all oh, the mortgage company said it was an all in policy and they don't require coverage, you know, that's one thing, but they may not have seen the deductible. Um, so really taking the extra few minutes to get that email sent over to a couple people, get the, the documents, you know, we can review them and we're not lawyers, but we know where to look for the insurance information and, and most policies are pretty clear on it. Um, and if not, we can always go back to the condo association and say, Hey, can you clarify this? Um, and then really just, you know, set it up right the first time. Um, and it's going to alleviate a lot of the stress that you may have if, if something does happen down the road. Cool. So one of the things I uh, also wanted to touch on is some of these commercials that I see on TV that basically say they can save you 10, 15, 20 percent on on your insurance. I find those um, commercials extremely misleading, but maybe you should tell people why they shouldn't buy into the whole I can save you 10, 15 or 20 percent on your insurance. Yeah, I mean, in, in general, um, especially on the auto rates, the state used to have you know, before 2008, it was a non-competitive market. So all the rates were the same. Um, now it's totally competitive. So it's really, you got to do a little bit of homework if, if you're looking for a good rate. Um, you know, there are times where those national companies that pump millions of dollars into advertising are the cheapest policy. Um, there's also times where, you know, they give you not so good coverage and you know maybe you could have spent an extra 10 bucks a month and had a really good policy but you went with a horrible one for you know a little bit of a cost saving so um, as an independent agent you know we don't have access to all the markets in the state but we you know most independent agents will have at least a half a dozen to a dozen um, and we can do some shopping for you we know what we're looking at coverage wise um, but it's all you know, they're saving you 10 or 20% off of their base rate. So if their base rate is higher in your circumstance, whatever that might be, um, you're only getting a 20% savings on their base rate where the other company that we quote you with might have just lower rates in general. So, you know, you don't need the extra savings. So the, the discounts really, 
are more of a marketing scheme in my opinion it really depends on your situation a coastal home is going to have tougher rates than a home you know 10 or 20 miles from the coast um you know a, a really good driver is always going to have better rates than a a brand new driver that's always had an accident already had an accident or two um so it really each circumstance is looked at differently with an insurance company until you actually run the numbers through and get you know accurate quotes it it really the discounts themselves are only discounts off of whatever that base rate is so um i think it's a way for people to get in the door and for me i look at it as it, it gets people thinking about insurance um which is where we come in and you know we can provide some value in the the you know the way that we can shop for you and you don't have to really worry about it as much as if you were doing it totally on your own um and there are just some companies that don't really um, direct direct consumer don't do direct consumer marketing, um, so you may not have access to get them unless you went to each individual website and then found individual agents for each company. So um, definitely more of a one shop stop. Yeah, one, -stop. one of the things one of the things I find frustrating is is that often I find that some of these uh, companies you know, they, in order to save the customer money, they slash, they slash the coverages and the person's like, Oh, great. You saved me, you know, 400 bucks. And, but they don't realize that their coverages have been slashed and people aren't savvy enough, or most of the time they're not savvy enough to compare coverages rather than just comparing price. Cause comparing price is the easy one. Um, cause everybody knows what a dollar is, but not everybody understands insurance. Do you see that a lot too, where they're slashing coverages? Yeah, I see a lot. Um, I and mean, we get a lot of we'll ask people what their coverages are if they have their current coverage page and we'll they'll say, Oh, I have full coverage. And I'm like, Okay, well, on the personal auto policy, there's twelve different coverages. Each of those coverages, you know, for the most part have three to five limits, if not more. So it's really full coverage is just a blanket term. Um, you know, I see a lot of, you know, damage to others property liability on a personal auto policy where they have 10 or $20,000 in coverage. Um, with almost every company out there, you can bump that up to 100,000 in coverage. So you're, you know, tripling or quadrupling the coverage, and it's like a dollar a month. So is it really worth saving where, you know, I think the average car on the road today is like $30,000 or so. Um, and there's plenty of cars that are over six figures. Um, more now than ever, you know, so even the hundred thousand in property damage, if you were to total a brand new, you know, high value car, you're going to be on the hook for the rest of that. Um, so we've even talked about uh, with a lot of our clients going up to the next level, which is 250,000 in, in you know, liability coverage. Um, so there's a lot of, of, of stuff that we see on the policies every, every day that it just doesn't make any sense. And I think, you know, whether they went online and they did a quote themselves and they just lowered the limits because they didn't really know what they were, were covering or if it's someone that, you know, they called an 800 number and just wanted to beat a certain rate. They said, I'm paying $100 a month. Can you get under that? And they just lower coverages to get under it. Um, sometimes it's not worth it. it. It can be worth it. You know, there's times <clears throat> I, I explain to clients like, hey, we increased this coverage, this coverage and that coverage. And, you know, you're saving five bucks a month or you're maybe it's even $5 more expensive a month, but you know, you have proper coverage. Um, 
I think most people, once they you explain it to them, you give them a couple examples, um, they understand it. And if they're doing it online on their own, or if they're just talking to someone on an 800 number that doesn't explain anything to them, they're just gonna, all they, all they can go off of is the price. So um, in my opinion, taking the extra five or 10 minutes to explain the policy better, you know, at least they're gonna understand it for a day. And then, you know, they hope nothing happens. And a year later, they might, you know, give us a call to revisit something. Um, but yeah, it's it's really not a lot of people understand the policies. And it's a big, you know, big contract really between them and the insurance company. And um, unless you're dealing with it on a day to day basis, it, it is really tough to understand. Yeah. So so to get back onto the track of homes, I, I had one more topic I wanted to ask you about. Um, and it's a little bit of a two prong question. It's about home inspections. Now, from my understanding, many insurance companies will actually inspect your property after they um, after you get a policy with them or after you close on your house. And then in, and in some cases, you actually recommend, um, especially houses with deferred maintenance, actually, in some cases, the recommend or you'll want to look at the home inspection that the person used uh, for the house just to see if there's anything that needs to be taken care of. Is that, is that correct? Or maybe you should go into a little bit more detail about that. Yeah. So basically what the, the insurance companies are doing, they're trying to mitigate damages. So um, whether the inspection is for, um, you know, liability potential issues, if someone were to uh, slip and fall or there wasn't a handrail on, on steps that are four steps or five steps or more, um, that they're basically looking to protect the client from getting sued and, and from, you know, larger cl uh, claims happening and being larger than they need to be because there was deferred maintenance. So it, yeah, they're really looking to make sure the property, you know, if there's a hole in the roof or if there's shingles missing all over the place, any kind of rainstorm is going to cause more damage than it would if the roof was in really good condition. Um, they look at things like, you know, trees being uh, trimmed back because if trees are overhanging a house, you know, and there's a windstorm, it's going to cause damage. So they look, they're trying to look to see if there's anything, you know, existing on the house that could cause or has a higher risk to cause claims in the future. Um, and then they make recommendations. Sometimes it's like, um, minor things that are just like okay can you trim back the tree a little bit or you know trim back the bushes um other times there you you know your front st uh, steps are crumbling and if you know the mailman didn't see that because of a little bit of snow in there and fell down the stairs you know or, or, or anyone in general um there would be a higher risk of injuries happening so um they are getting i feel like they're getting they're happening more and more. It used to be random with a lot of companies and they didn't, you know, inspect one out of five, one out of 10 homes. Um, one of the other important things that they're looking for too, is just to make sure that the, the replacement cost coverage that was put onto the policy is accurate. Um, there's a lot of people that have been underinsured lately, especially, um, or maybe, you know, there was an old town assessors, uh, database where it said the house was 1200 square feet and, uh, no one realized that there was an addition put on three years ago that never was updated with the insurance. So the house is, you know, double the value to replace. So uh, part of the inspection, they're looking at the size of the home and making sure that the the proper uh, replacement cost was put onto the policy to begin with. 
Um, so there's a few different things they're looking for. In most cases, um, if the home's in decent shape, like I said, there could be some basic recommendations. In other cases, there's major recommendations and they say, okay, we, we need this stuff fixed within you know 30 or 60 days or the policy could cancel. Um, so it is, it's, they're really, you know, it can be a pain in the butt, especially if there are a couple things that need to be repaired, but they're doing it for the, the betterment of the client, you know, and, um, and the insurance company in the long run. So, so if somebody's buying a house with a lot of, that needs a lot of TLC, that has a lot of deferred maintenance, do you, do you recommend them providing you a copy of the, uh, the home inspection? Yeah, in some cases that can help us because um, it's it's fresh pictures that were just taken and a report, you know, that is probably um, is going to be more accurate than anything that we can find online or through the databases that the insurance companies use. So that can kind of help guide us and, you know, also maybe put them with a company that has less underwriting restrictions or that may not inspect um, or just to help them, you know, prioritize what they may want to fix if they're planning on putting a lot of money into a property. Um, you know, we could say, Hey, this is what the insurance company is going to look at. Um, Cause I think it may not, those fixes may not provide value in the market if they were going to, you know, if they were fixing and flipping per se, or, you know, it may, you know, a, a kitchen remodel might give the uh, property more market value, but, you know, maybe, putting a new roof on before you did that would, you know, keep the home safer and uh, limit, you know, water damage of, of, you know, rain seeping into the house or, or anything like that. So um, it can help prioritize projects. Um, and like I said, we can kind of work with the companies that we have. Some companies um, <clears throat> will are okay with, you know, projects needing to be done. Um, or just even a different type of a policy um, where like a builder's risk policy would be, would be put in place if they were going to do a major renovation. Um, so yeah, all the information we can gather is, is always going to help us provide the best options for the client. Have you ever seen an insurance company just outright cancel an insurance policy because of the condition of the house? Yes, for sure. Um, like I said, a lot of times it's going to be for multiple things. Um, it's not just, oh, you have, you know, one of the stairs is cracked, um, but they're looking for different stuff. I just had one um, that I was quoting that was declined before they even went on to quote it or they accepted the quote because there was a lot of water damage on ceilings in pictures that they saw online. Uh, the front steps were crumbling. There wasn't um, on the back, uh, back porch, there wasn't a handrail. And you could see that, you know, there was rotting on the top of where the roof met the the siding um so it was just in general bad conditions so they have the option if they see those things beforehand you know in that case they declined the quote we weren't able to move forward with the policy um if they see stuff like that um after the fact after inspection you know the state has a timeline where they're able to cancel the policy prior to or, you know, if we're, if we communicate with them and say, okay, well, the client just bought the house as is, they're doing the repairs. Um, a lot of times we'll submit up pictures and say, okay, you know, the siding was replaced. Here's pictures of that. They fixed the, the handrail on the back, you know, deck. Here's pictures of that. Um, so it really depends on the condition of the home. And um, there are options for those homes. Um, 
sometimes they're more expensive. <clears throat> and, um, and if your and if your insurance gets canceled because of the condition of the property, in trying to place them with another carrier can be extremely difficult. And if you can, it's it's typically much more expensive than a typical policy. Is that correct? Yeah, in general, for sure. Um, usually, there's someone out there that'll do it, um, but a lot of times the options are more expensive. The more the more issues you have, it, it's just a risk tolerance thing. So if if the risk is higher because the the property is in bad shape, the premiums are going to be higher because it's a, a more risky and there's a higher probability of something happening. And if something does happen um, with a home that has issues like that, it it's generally, you know, the increases the um, repair costs of, of the issue when it does happen. So, so you heard that people, if, if you, if you're buying a house that needs a little bit of TLC or a lot of TLC, don't hide it from your agent, help them guide you on what needs to be fixed and how to properly address the insurance company when that happens. Derek, I appreciate you coming on uh, my podcast today and sharing some of your knowledge. I've known you for years now. If somebody wants to get in touch with you because they have questions about insurance, either airplanes or homes, uh, <laughs> tell them how they get in touch with you. Uh, so you can always give the agency a call. We work as a, a big team here. Um, our phone number is 781-277-0673. Um, or you can email me, um, Derek at lawlessandhiggins.com. Um, and like I said, we've, we're, we're still growing. We're always looking to help people um, and willing to take the time to, you know, inform as much as a person wants. There's some people that, that will go through line by line for every coverage and they want to know what everything is for. And there's other people that just say, you know, Eric recommended you just give me a policy. I don't want to spend much time on it. And, you know, we try to push them somewhere in the middle uh, so they understand what they're getting. They make informed choices about the coverages, but um, yeah, we're always happy to talk to people, even if it's just answering questions. Awesome. Hey, thank you everybody for watching Own Future Podcast. I'm Eric Clay, your local mortgage guy. Remember to like, share, and subscribe uh, so that people can see my podcast and we will see you next time.